the question. What's the right direction? Right now, I don't want to leave Walter. Go. He needs me. I don't know, sweetheart. I don't know. He seems pretty happy. Yeah, good yeah. job. I am man, or am I? Believe it or not, this is not a Muppet. It's not Miss Piggy, and it's not Kermit, although I think Johnny tonight is definitely Gonzo. This is Robin Sills from Naugatuck Valley Radiology. Welcome you to another um, edition of The Big Picture, and Johnny's just having some fun with everyone. He wanted to play that because he said it's the Heart Month. It's Valentine's Month, and in celebrating Heart Month, I have with me tonight, I have the honor of having with me tonight, Dr. Paul Kelly, cardiologist of St. Mary's Hospital. Hi, Dr. Kelly. Hi, Robin. Thanks for having me. Oh, are you kidding me? I never got to answer the question, are you a man or a Muppet? Are you a man or a Muppet? (laughs) You're a very manly man. <laughs> we're a little bit, we're a little bit taken back. Johnny took us by surprise by that one. Usually, he's been playing some um, sitcom shows for me to lead in. So I wasn't sure what he was going to come up with tonight. But we have our that's a sign of up. cabin fever. That is definitely cabin <laughs> fever. But I'm hoping everybody's in their cabin tonight. I hope so too. So that they can hear us because this is really important information. Being Heart Month, and I know that you have been tapped beyond belief to do so many different programs for Heart mm-hmm. Month, and not just that, but seeing the amount of patients that you've been seeing because mm-hmm. of this crazy weather, which we're going to get into later. But um, it is Heart Month, and being Heart Month, and one of the lead cardiologists here in Greater Waterbury and at my wonderful hospital, St. Mary's, we want to make sure that we brought you in because you are definitely the expert. Oh. Thank you. I'll do my best. You do your best? Do my best. And anyone has a question tonight, certainly, um, and would like to ask Dr. Kelly, we want to remind you, you can call in because we are live. Right, Johnny? Unfortunately, at times. Unfortunately. 203-757-1320. So please feel free um, to call in at any time if you want to ask a question of, I'm not going to save me, but of Dr. Kelly because he's definitely the expert. Happy to help. Um, I wanted to highlight um, something that has been going on at St. Mary's that we're really excited about that I know you're really excited about. You sent an email out tonight um, to um, all the foundation board members so that we can start marketing it. So tonight's an incredible opportunity to get the information out out there about this patient navigator program that we were just um, awarded at St. Mary's Hospital, one of 11 hospitals. 11 hospitals nationwide. So we want to talk about what is the patient navigator Mm -hmm. in relationship to cardiology. Okay. Well, just to to backtrack and give you some of the the details on this program, the American College of Cardiology, which is one of the governing bodies for cardiology in the country, Mm -hmm. uh, was soliciting... Uh, ideas and programs from, from hospitals nationwide uh, on post-discharge care of patients. What happens when our patients leave the hospital? Right. It's such a the transition from hospital to home right. is so critical in in making sure that patients stay healthy, um, maintain the same trajectory of improvement in their right. health after they leave the hospital. But it also happens to be one of the most vulnerable periods where people actually backtrack or slip. And get readmitted to the hospital. So, right. the, the big one of the, one of the, the focuses of the savings push in this country right now is trying to reduce readmissions to the hospital. And you know, Doc, mm-hmm. I've been a nurse for a long time, and this is nothing new, and not just in the field of cardiology, but in all no. aspects of healthcare. Well, the story I tell is it's it's, it's the story I, about um, my my firstborn. Yeah. And I think Matthew might even be listening. In. <laughs> But my uh, and my dad is listening, and he probably has the same experience I had 
with Matt than he had with me. Absolutely. I'm sure I had the same experience, too. Exactly. So when you're in the hospital and you're sitting in the the nursery with a nurse and you're holding your child in your arms at your first and they're explaining to you all the little details of taking care of this person, and at the time that you're in the hospital, all the things they're teaching you about maintaining health of this child is it's easy. I can take care of this. This is a no-brainer. As soon as you leave the hospital and you walk into your own home with this child, you realize, I forgot everything Absolutely. they told you. Absolutely. And everything in my own home doesn't apply to it. I don't know how to apply what I learned to where I am now. Definitely. And you, pan- you sort of panic. You panic. So that is not dissimilar from what we go through now. You you teach patients about the, the, the path back to good health right. in the hospital as they're sick. Right. You, there's an instruction sheet. Some of it's very complicated. Um, and... and turns out that when you're sick in the hospital, it can't be a, a, a worse time to try to teach somebody something that's supposed to sink in. They're not absorbing. No. So you get home, and the first thing you do is you forget everything that, you, that you're supposed to remember after you left the hospital. Some of these things are relatively simple techniques or simple instructions that you have to follow right. to stay out of the hospital. But what happens is people forget. The, comp- the medications that people take, they're I was complex. Just that. That's scary because There's, they're new. Right. Not, some of them are new. In many cases, there may be one of 14 or 15 different medicines. I've seen medicines right. list as long as 23 medicines long. Right. And they're supposed to remember this in addition to other instructions. So right. the first 7 to 10 days after discharge from the hospital is a very vulnerable period for folks and, to maintaining health and, and the, like I said, the trajectory of getting getting well. Many patients don't, and they end up back in the hospital which is a, a huge cost to the health care system in the country. Sure, you and have the, to pay for readmittance and then retest them right. and all those things. And the federal government, in the form of CMS, Medicare and Medicaid, right. is going to start to penalize hospitals who have a high readmission rate. Mm-hmm. So there's a big push now to, to try to support or fortify the patients after right. they get out of the hospital. And the, and the, the benchmark is 30 days mm-hmm. post-discharge. We're actually interested in going beyond 30 days. I think 30 days is artificial. Right. It should be 60, 90 days a year and and Mm -hmm. beyond Mm -hmm. and set up a system. So back to the ACC. The ACC, American College of Cardiology, solicited um, papers or applications from hospitals across the country. They received over 130 of them. And um, there there are hospitals that had already demonstrated a commitment to cardiac quality. And as you know, we've been we've been involved with that for the last seven to ten years in in improving. Proving well, thank you. But it's it's a um, um, a team. team. I know that. I know that. Um, And we submitted an application, and we were one of eleven hospitals selected nationwide. Uh, and the likes of which, by the way, include UCLA Medical Center in Los Angeles. We have Vanderbilt uh, University in Nashville. There's some prestigious There's hospitals some big, big on that places. list. And on that list is St. Mary's Hospital. It's Waterbury, incredible. Just to see that so, made me feel like a peacock. Uh, it's kind of neat. It's kind of <laughs> neat. So this, the, the, what, what it is is the uh, AstraZeneca, the pharmaceutical company, mm-hmm. is going to, uh, through the ACC, fund certain hospitals, 11 of them, uh, in an effort to try to improve or to come up with creative ways of taking care of folks post-discharge. How do we take care of them in a, in a new way? Some way coordinating care, which is a term people keep using over and over again, but I don't think right. anybody really understands what coordinated right. care really right. means. Right. And it's our job to try to put some 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 meat on the skeleton of this. And uh, I can't project. help but think of this. It seems like it just goes back to good old-fashioned patient care. Well, ultimately, that's exactly what it comes down to. There's all kinds of neat stuff where we talk about telemedicine with new electronic uh, surveillance, uh, monitoring equipment, and so forth and so on. But ultimately, it does come down to a person listening one to one, face to face, taking care of the issues and taking, and then the, the provider and both the patient who have to be accountable for their piece of of the problem. The right. patients need to become more involved in their own care, more right. engaged in what happens. Right. And then the providers have to be accountable for teaching and uh, implementing care, um, medications, procedures, and so forth in, in the right way. So now, how many navigators will be um, within this program? Well, it's a, the, the navigator is a person it's at the hospital. It's, it's, a, it's a person. And, With um, their hands full, it's going to sound Yeah, better. they're going to be very busy. And uh, a lot of it is Teaching in hospital, working with the in hospital specialists, nurses on the floors, the doctors, the cardiologists on the floor, and then following through to the outpatient. So there's going to be a, a thread of continuity from inpatient to outpatient. So a familiar the, voice, so a familiar face, back. 
that knows the face, knows the voice, and then post-discharge, how do we take um, the patient through that critical period, utilizing resources that are already available out in the community? Right. And it doesn't have to be we're using all of one resource or very little of another. Everybody's going to be able to contribute in this way. Now, will the navigator work with agencies such as visiting nurses mm-hmm. to coordinate the care with them? Visiting nurses will have will have a role, the role that they, they play now. Right. But there are other resources, uh, interesting, uh, EMS, EMS and ambulance services. There's a, EMS services are, are, are now starting to diversify. Instead of just being acute care event-oriented type of, uh, of a service where they come pick you up, take you to the hospital, they now are going to get involved in more community-based medicine. Wow. Uh, in, in off hours, say weekends and in nights, they can fill gaps that the home care agencies like visiting nurse associations can't fill. They can actually go to the house. Wow. They can they can assess the patient. They can do it, use telemonitoring. You can use Skyping or face-to-face with a doctor or nurse back at the hospital to assess a patient to know whether or not there is an acute need for emergency services in the emergency room or can this wait till tomorrow morning when the office opens up or is there something that the, the EMT can do at the home at the present time? We have EKG capabilities and, uh, and all the, the clinical skills that these that the EMTs have. And sometimes the patient themselves may panic. Because of the situation, because of the situation they just had, so it may not be an emergency situation. Just well, you know as well as I do that most, a lot of what goes in our emergency rooms today is not emergent. Absolutely. So it and it, it is a, a a big problem. So how do we take that that group of people that are sitting for hours waiting to be seen in an emergency room, and triage them prior to their even calling nine one one? How do we how do we deal with that? And it's educating the public as to what emergency situations are and other resources they can use other than the emergency room. Right. And educating them to, especially because there's so many walk-in clinics, there's so many urgent care centers in our area mm-hmm. now, too, mm-hmm. that aren't emergency rooms. Right. That are much less cost. Emergencies should system. be in the emergency room. Absolutely. But there's so many urgent problems or not even urgent problems that should not be there. That don't and need how to do be you there. know that? For and how sure. do you know what's emergency? And there's, a, there's always access problems. How do I access care? How do right. I get the care that I need? We have to improve on that. We definitely have to. Now, the navigator then will meet the patient at the hospital before they're discharged. Correct. And then walk through the system with them. So as you said, it'll be a familiar face and familiar voice. Then will they they'll call the patient? Right. Once they'll, the patient's discharged. Work with, with the patient and family. Family is okay. critical to this because mm-hmm. I'm a big proponent of engagement of the family in the in the, in oh, the hospitalized patient. I think you need an I think fam, you need, need to have an advocate. Mm-hmm. You know, especially when that person cannot. There, we have a lot of um, patients in our area. A lot of um, people in the greater Waterbury community. They have a very diverse population, mm-hmm. so there's a lot of language barriers. Yep. So you need to under the family needs to be under, understand and right. feel comfortable mm-hmm. with whoever it is they're talking with. And I think you do need an, an a, you know a patient's family member involved. So this person's navigator acts as an advocate for mm-hmm. the patient. In fact, the navigator will ultimately be accountable for how that patient does. How that patient as, does as a member of a team. I think the team the team needs to, to feel obligated and accountable for what happens. So and any time something happens where a readmission that was preventable Remember, a lot of readmissions are not preventable. It's really the reflects the disease process that yeah. this person's sick and is getting sicker, and the readmission within two weeks of discharge was really part of the natural history of the disease. And you can't, pre- you don't want to prevent that. You don't right. want to keep people out who don't, who should be right. Be you in. don't want to scare people away that right. they shouldn't be seeking care when they really need it. But then this this patient navigator will assess the system that we set up. Should should never be the reason why a patient gets admitted. The system can't fail. Right. So the system will be the navigator, communication, teaching, which might include translation right. for for patients who uh, whose English may not be help them to understand That's their disease. Right. Uh, and then it's post discharge calling, phone calls. It might be even a house visit. Uh, it's making sure that the patient then gets to their physician. In their in the office, and they within, have transportation. Within, that's where transportation. So there's the logistics of all of this come in, where yeah. they get uh, not just in hospital, and they get the the medications that we know are quality um, medicines and prolong life and, and mm-hmm. um, improve symptomatology, but they get um, discharged with a full understanding, get a ride to the doctor's office, get home. There's communications that, that will have to be part of the navigator's responsibility. You know, we t- I know this is a little off track, mm-hmm. but, you know, I know um, at the Lever Center, you know, we have our, our road to recovery type of program mm-hmm. for the rides. You know, you just mentioned briefly the rides. 
is there a system in place for people that don't have rides, or what resources would a navigator use in a cardiac patient's care? Do we? Well, back to uh, uh, Campion. Yeah, Campion. I've been talking right. with Bill Campion a lot about uh, what their vision is for their services in the next five to ten years, and they can see themselves playing that role where I was wondering someone that. just called and said that their son or daughter can't get off out of work to bring their mom or dad or grandma to the to the office. How do I get them there? And I've got right. 20 minutes to, to do this. Right. Well, the uh, question is, one, does the, do they have to come to the office? Can, can an EMT go out with a tablet with Skype yeah. and Skype to the doc? Wow, uh, that's great. Do, do vital signs, check lungs, because the EMTs are, are well-equipped and well-trained well to do this. Do I have to have that patient come and sit in my office to wait for an hour before I come in and spend 10 or 15 minutes to say you're doing great? Absolutely, especially in All this of that? Of, especially this time of year with well, this kind February, of weather. Well, in February, we've got snow and ice on the ground, and does, does it really does it make matter? Sense? Uh, should I be doing more of the telemedicine where I'm seeing patients through a computer screen and, and talking to them? If they look great and the, I'm satisfied with the EMT's assessment of the patient, they don't have to come in the office. I think that's an incredible role. That they could fill. There's there's so many different ways that you can do this, and then and we're in, a, in explosions of it right now, and we have to be careful with with um, the the use of the technology and use it in a, in, a, in a fair way. We have a caller. Oh, good. Hi, this is Robin. Thank you for calling. Robin, who's the interesting guest? It's Dr. Paul Kelly. Hi, Tom. How are you? Oh, Paul, you sound terrific. What a nice presentation. Why, thank you, Tom. Hey, I wanted to say that both of you look so handsome in the Water Republican social <laughs> moments. Everybody looked terrific Thank in those you. photos. Thank you. And where were you that night? Uh, my son had a concert. Oh, all right. Next year I'll have to think of no. him coming and playing for us a little bit. Yeah, that'd be great. But the reason I called, for those who couldn't afford those tickets or had conflicts like me, how can people still who love the hospital help and make donations? And, and is, that to the, is that to the hospital foundation? I would definitely say yes. You can contact the hospital foundation, mm-hmm. and you can have them call the foundation phone number, uh, 203-709-6390, and Harriet um, is, she's the, uh, I call her the everything. She's the everything. She's the everything. Right. She's the everything. But uh, Harriet Sesparo is there, and you can definitely uh, give her a call, and I'm sure that she will alert Peggy Lawler, and um, it would be great. We would so appreciate it. St. Mary's website also has access to the foundation for giving too, Tom. Perfect, which is stmh.org. Right. Thanks. The St. Mary's Hospital is a caring, wonderful place, and thanks for a nice show. Thank you, Tom. Thank you for your support. He's always a. I'm so glad he called tonight without a different voice. Sometimes, Uh, sometimes he calls in and he gives me one of his. He's a very Muppet man. He's a Muppet man for sure, but he's incredibly supportive of his idea. He still has an opportunity to call back with a different. Yeah, I know. I should have. Don't count him out yet. Yeah, I should watch what I'm saying here. So, have we? um, Have you found a patient navigator to fill this role? Are you still in the search? We're still in the search, but I think we've got it narrowed down to a couple of applicants. Terrific people with worlds, years of experience, uh, great with uh, interpersonal skills, with talking to patients, and uh, we're we're excited for it. Now, are these um, the people that you've narrowed it down to? Are they bilingual, or they have access to bilingual? We have access to bilingual. That's good. For sure. We do that at our office setting too at Naugatuck Valley. We have um, the ability. We have a couple of the offices have. Um, we have bilingual, mm-hmm. but in the event that you don't always have them working, mm-hmm. there is something through um, actually AT and T that you can do. There's a phone service. Oh, as we use that in hospitals. Yeah, we yeah. do. We do yeah. use that at St. Mary's, mm-hmm. and you know it's very helpful. It works. It works. It works. You know, and it's a great service that they have. And I think two one one too through United Way. There's yeah. some um, services. And you can get almost any language you can think of. Oh yeah, know, definitely. Yeah. And we have a huge population of Portuguese speaking. Yeah, an Albanian, absolutely. I know my dad's company, Albert Brothers, there's a a huge population of Albanian. Mm Um, people working there, and it's it's, it's great to be. Culture. Oh, it is. Yep. Waterbury is such mm-hmm. a diverse. That's why I asked you earlier. You know, we have such a diverse population here, right. and you know, not everybody has the same access, but they do have. The one thing we do have is there's a very strong family support. I was going to say that I, family is is key with every one of the Thank cultures you, you just mentioned. Yeah. Um, what I think would be great is getting this information. We have so many churches. Uh, well, I'm going to come to that in just a oh, second. Yeah, go ahead, I wanted to uh, go back to finish the the, yeah. the navigator program because we're, we're we're going to be uh, kicking off this program Monday, yep. 
and the ACC from American College of Cardiology and representatives from Washington are coming into town, and uh, we're going to have um, uh, a, a number of uh, talks on, on Monday and a lunch for some of the in, invited guests at the hospital. I was and, invited. Um, I know you were. Yay! And uh, we're looking forward to it. <laughs> but this exciting. whole thing really uh, came together by virtue of the fact that one of our nurses, uh, Christina McCullough, uh, applied uh, for us on our behalf. That's um, a huge job. It is. The and amount of documentation you have to do mm-hmm. to apply for she a program saw it like on that? The, on the ACC's website, and she took it upon herself to uh, get us into this, and, and the, here we are. And um, she has subsequently, as you know, taken a job at a different hospital, which they stole her away from they us, stole, essentially. Yeah. Uh, but they they were right in targeting her because she's, she's fabulous. Uh, and then the, the people who at the hospital who put this together, namely... Jennifer Clement, who, right, Jen. who Jen puts so much blood, sweat, and tears into everything, everything. that she does, and uh, we're happy that uh, Jen is at the uh, at the wheel on this one, uh, and Joe Connolly and Barb White and the, and the folks at the the foundation office, and all the people who take care of heart patients at the hospital. It's just everybody pitches in. It's, it's yeah. it, it becomes infectious, and, and the energy starts to spread. And I'm I'm delighted to be working with these people. It's always a team effort, mm-hmm. and it's not it's a it's a team effort between all the different departments mm-hmm. in St. Mary's. Anytime something is happening, mm-hmm. there's so many different hands from so every you can get help from any department. Yeah, I mean, you don't everybody get pushed helps back. each other. Everybody has a great attitude. Absolutely. But the, go back to what you were talking about with the churches, because this is an interesting. It, and aside from water being Waterbury being a very uh, um, culturally diverse community. The one thing that seems to be in each one of those those cultures, those ethnic groups you spoke of, is the is the church. Absolutely, and it's the center. I'm I'm toying with an, an idea of how to utilize some of the volunteerism that the churches are involved in to help with this effort. How do you take uh, patients who, when they leave the hospital, their needs may be complex, where a doctor or a nurse or an EMT can fulfill that role, but then their needs might be very simple. Like I need someone to come visit my mom or dad once or twice right. a week. Um, I need someone to run to the grocery store for me when I can't get there myself right. or someone my, my family can't get there, or uh, I need a ride someplace. And some of the, the, the volunteerism that, that comes with being um, a member of a faith community, whether it doesn't matter what church or synagogue or mosque you belong to, everybody has that, that, that spirit in them. Some of that is going to be absolutely essential in cutting cost, which Definitely. is what we're talking about in, in, in healthcare in America today, is how do we deliver high-quality care and at the same time cut costs. It seems like it's, it's a tough thing to do. But it won't, it, it'll happen with these kinds of volunteerism-type uh, programs where you just go to a church and say, I need... How many retired nurses do you know? Well, and I was just going to say that. I mean, there is so... I know we have a parish nurse, somewhat mm-hmm. parish nurse program at mm-hmm. St. Anthony's, and I know it's at a lot of the different mm-hmm. churches in Greater Waterbury where they do have a retired nurses or mm-hmm. nurses that are within the parish. We do blood pressures once a month mm-hmm. after Mass, and there's a lot of different opportunities for not just them, but also their ladies' guild. There's some nurses within the ladies guilds themselves at the different churches and i would think that you know the patient navigator going in and talking about the program can develop a team at all the different churches you know to to fund you well, know funnel the, the idea that i'm toying with presently is 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 having sections or or units in the town where you say well i live in the parish of st francis xavier mm-hmm. or i live in the parish of uh Sacred Heart, or any other faith-based, yeah, right? All the different any ones, other right. your synagogue or wherever you, mm-hmm. wherever you you worship, and as as a member of that community, or even even just a neighbor of it, not even part of the of the community or the parish, mm-hmm. uh, I can pick up the phone and call that parish and say, "I've got one for you." Right, and they, they're two blocks away from where you live. If you live in a different area or different region or unit, we call that particular church or or volunteer group. It could not be a church. It could be any kind of volunteer group you can look at. Absolutely. Up. could be senior and, uh, centers. Absolutely. And we have so many of those, absolutely. too. And, just, and definitely. And make it easy for everybody. They're just down the street. They're just down Walk the street. Walk down and, and introduce yourself. And the, 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 Ideally, what you like to have is sort of a unit, a unit captain in each area who would then come to the hospital from knowing that a patient lives in that neighborhood. Right. Come to the hospital. And make it put an, a face with a name, right. because a lot of times people are afraid to open the door to anyone that they don't know, right. even a visiting nurse who 
it, it comes with a badge and, and, definitely, and credentials. Definitely. It's sometimes scary to open the door for, to someone you don't know. But you've met this person at the hospital. Remember my face? Yeah. Open the door, and, and I'll help you with whatever, whatever your needs are. Looking over the house to make sure that it's safe. That you're, it's safe. The carpets, the edges on the when you walk. How do you? Where do you walk from here to where? Definitely. And they have working communication. Mm-hmm. You know, some some patients don't even. You, you know, they they've fallen on hard times. They may not have the means of communication. They may not have a phone. Mm-hmm. You know, so there's so many different things. Or setting them up. I know we used to have this a long time ago at the hospital. I don't know if it's still in existence, but we used to have the Lifeline program. Right. Where, you know, with the button, right. where they'd be able still, to still access around. Still around. Yeah. And I know, I, oh my gosh, that's going way back, so I'm dating right. myself a little bit. But, you know, we used to put the capsules with their information in the freezer so that the EMTs knew where to find their information. It was in this capsule. They used to have all their information. So if the patient was unconscious, right. they used to open up the freezer door, and inside the freezer was a capsule. They opened the capsule, and there's a listing of their health history and all their information and How all their cool medication. Isn't that a great yeah, idea? Yeah, isn't it? It was really pretty cool, and all the EMTs it's in the so area knew about it. It's so too. It's untechnology, <laughs> but it was so <laughs> wonderful because mm-hmm. we had situations where patients, you would find them unconscious. Right. You go into the home, and you had no idea the patient's health history. Why'd you pick the freezer? Just I don't know, that, because it was the one accessible place. Everybody, like everybody, had, everybody had a freezer? <laughs> I guess, I don't yeah. know. But that's you what he's, we can ask Billy Campion about it, because he was involved in this. If he forgets, he's lying. Yeah. Then he's, he's making me out to be that I'm old. Okay. But it was definitely a program that we had started way back when in the Center for Health Promotion, and it worked. It worked. It worked. You know, yeah. it, was a, it was a great way yeah. for us to make sure that we had the right information. Right. Yeah, hopefully it was current. Right. But, you know, I had a list of their allergies or mm-hmm. whatever, because that's always a concern. Right. You know, with patients, definitely. Well, I think this is a great program. When do you think it'll it'll take off? Well, it's it's already off, I have it's to say. Off. That we, yeah. we, we've been doing that, uh, which is why we, we were picked as one of the 11 hospitals in the country. We've been working at this for a number of years now, working at the post-discharge care, because the, the uh, number one, it's the right thing to do. Definitely. Number two is that... Um, Medicare is going to come down on on hospitals that don't uh, keep up with the readmission uh, progress we make. Right. And uh, so we've been doing it for a while, but in 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 this way, in this formal program, it'll kick off Monday. So this is specific to our cardiology patients. Let me ask you a question: mm-hmm. Is Medicare looking at the same mm-hmm. thing for other disease they are, processes? They are. They're adding them on. We're talking about pneumonia. Yeah. We're talking about. Um, Hips and knees. Next, yeah. there's a list of orthopedic. diagnoses that are. I can see where orthopedic is a huge deal. Coming around the corner here on uh, taking care of post-discharge patients. And this doesn't just happen at the hospital level. I'm sure that it also happens, like at the extended care. It does. They're levels. on the hook too. Right. They've got to make sure that they provide quality care. They don't want patients coming back in held to the same standard. Definitely. So, so it's it's. It's a good thing. It's It's definitely a good thing because at the end of the day, yes, I know what we're looking at doing is saving Mm -hmm. the country some money. I I get that. And doing the right thing, keeping people out of the hospital. I'm in agreement with this because it's providing quality care. Mm -hmm. And it's it's pushing the envelope for us to not just say goodbye to that patient, but to continue the relationship past the door and make sure that patient is safe and okay. Well, that's that's a... A mindset, a cultural mindset that's going to have to change. Mm-hmm. We, we, and, and shame on us for maintaining that for so long and, and that the system has been set up to make us think only from front door to back door. It right. wasn't our business what happened after you left the it hospital. It was acute care. Bye. It was acute care and you're gone. Yep. Well, it really should be that the hospital and your, and your healthcare system in your city thinks beyond the walls. You think Definitely. beyond the door. Because they're they are you're, they're part of your community Definitely. and they're, and they're apt to come back if you if you don't provide the quality care. I know that even in the radiology field that mindset has changed for mm-hmm. us. You know we'll be doing procedures on a patient and you know I said to my radiologist we need to follow up with these patients mm-hmm. the next day. You can't just do a procedure and expect they're going to call their doctor the next day. We should check with them because we've performed the procedure. We still should follow up with right. them. So you know I do the same thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I call patients that have had a biopsy in the office mm-hmm. on the next day and give them my information to call me so I can be the advocate for them between mm-hmm. their doctor, us, and, right. you know, this way their doctor's office, we did the procedure, we're extending the courtesy, but it's funny, when I call the patient, they're surprised, they're like, is everything okay? Yeah. What did you find? <laughs> yeah, yeah, because they're not used to that level of care anymore. Right. And I think that's sad. It is. That they're not used right. to that level right. of care, because I think that's definitely important in our community. And having that bridge from... 
from a procedure to home to a doc definitely is 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 critical and, and they're comfortable talking to a nurse for some reason you know they're not they're easy to talk to. I'm easy to talk to I don't yeah. know but oh my husband doesn't yeah. say that to me all the time <laughs> but you know they're they're comfortable you know when I call them and mm-hmm. I tell them who they are I am mm-hmm. they start talking to me and they open up and it may be something else I can help them with at right. that point. And right. I think that's a great thing, mm-hmm. you know, to be able to say, listen, I can take care of that for you. Mm-hmm. You know, and I know that's a little bit beyond the radiology piece. And my docs yell at me all the time. We, Don't get involved. <laughs> we're not getting paid we're for this. Involved. That's right. <laughs> but sometimes you're just, you know, offering that, that to be that bridge. And, and I see this, this program, the Navigator, is a huge need. Mm-hmm. It's actually something, it's funny because it's something my husband and I are doing. Um, he was in a program at, at uh, Gaylord. And it was called the Troark House. And it was an, it was a step-down unit from Gaylord. Mm-hmm. So patients that have had traumatic brain injuries or, or strokes or what have you would go into this um, setting where they would be there Monday through Friday. And there was no – a lot of these patients were there with no – guidance with no advocate for them and so i'm working really hard with him we're working to create a program where there's a patient navigator down there right. so that patients that don't have that advocate for them will help them navigate through the system get the care they need and understand what they're getting mm-hmm. done and and i think so i think at many different levels this needs to happen yep definitely yeah. So not to, we'll take a little break, I think, now, Johnny, because I want to move on. I have some questions for Doc on the snowy season. As long as what I don't play any Muppet No Muppet stuff. <laughs> we will be back in just a minute.
Sills. Welcome back to um, our our great edition this week of Heart Month with Dr. Paul Kelly, cardiologist, St. Mary's Hospital. And again, Dr. Kelly, thank you for taking the time out. We just spent a good portion of our show talking about the patient navigator, and I'm really right. excited about it it's because it's um, definitely it's a big deal. It's a big deal to be chosen as one of the 11 hospitals to um, get this program. It's, I'm thrilled to be on this list. It's an impressive group of hospitals, and I'm a little nervous about trying to keep up with uh, the big boys. Oh, you know, we'll St. Mary's do. has no problem keeping up no, with we'll the big boys. No, we'll do fine. We'll be you fine. You know, at the gala, I sat with, um, and I apologize, I don't remember the priest's name, but he had brought the Archbishop, Archbishop Blair. Oh, Father Roman. Father Roman. Right. He he was quite a character. So when I was sitting and talking with him, he said something to me, and I just got goosebumps when he said it because I'm definitely a St. Mary's girl, have been since I was I was born there. So he said to me, I said to him, Father, you must go to a lot of these galas. And he says to me, I can't count them. He says, however, St. Mary's is special. I said, you mean the gala special? He says, no, just St. Mary's is special, and we have a special place in our heart for St. Mary's. And it meant so much to me that he said that, because I think that when you walk in St. Mary's doors, you can't help but feel that. As soon as you walk in. As soon as you walk in. You can't. You can. It is a special place. It just has a magic to it. I don't know what that magic is. I mean, I've definitely felt it since I was a kid, but there is a magic there. And so this program, and for us to be recognized, I don't think we're going to have any problem shining in this. I'm shooting to be the best. We're going to be the best. And if it was up to me, I'll be promoting it left and right, so we'll be be good to go. Definitely. So I know that I met with you the other day, Mm -hmm. and in that meeting, your cell phone went off several times Mm -hmm. because you were in the ER. Mm -hmm. And it was right after a snowstorm. It was. So... We have had the one of the worst winters that I can remember. The, I mean, I'm going to go back to 78 when I was 18 years old, and we had that horrible blizzard, which I loved because it was the first time Father Blanchfield actually closed Sacred Heart, which we know. <laughs> Usually <laughs> Father Blanchfield, yeah. You got yeah. that day off you Yeah, right. we got to have a week right. off, actually. So I remember my husband and I, we were down Fulton Park Slide, and every right. day yeah. it was great. But it has been the worst winter. It has been awful. And I know you and I talked, you're ready to kill me, but I know I've been out there doing a little bit of picking up around my driveway, and you are seeing so many patients with episodes due to shoveling. Oh, it's the cold. It's the, it's it's the, the stress of the, of the situation. We've, we've seen a number of people come in. We, and we, we anticipate it every year. You do. A, you, and we do. And is it more and this so, year because of what the winter we've had? Uh, it, it, well, I think people are starting to figure it out. And, in fact, the, the snow has been so bad this year that it's almost not shovelable. Yeah, you can't. You, you, you can't so, yeah, you, yeah. so we maybe see a fewer. Last year we had a, a quite a quite a bit. We had that big snow over that, that big snow. one weekend where yep. it came down heavy, and we yep. saw six in one day, Oh yeah, which was a big day for wow. us. And um, this year it's just so heavy that people realize as soon as they step in how cold it is. It's cold. And that I think yeah. that's what I wanted to ask you about. I mean, it's so cold. We've had snow and then it warms up. Now I know we're gonna have a couple of warm days. That's a that's a key ingredient. Yeah, a lot of people want to know. Well, I have I have this question from many people in the office: Is why why is it I can chop wood all uh, on a on a August day or a September day and lift what might be a thirty or forty pound log and set it up and and, and feel great doing it? A lot of it has to do with with um, the temperature and the cold weather. That same activity of using your arms and maybe digging away at snow and then picking up a heavy shovel full of wet snow is done in a different climate, different, usually different time of day. Right. When, you, when you think about, when I think about the number of times I've had to get up at an early hour in the morning before the sun comes up to go out and try to clear the driveway to get out. Right. You're talking about the, the, the time where you're most vulnerable to heart attacks regardless of of the temperature or the weather outside. It's anyway. early morning. Early morning. Because there's a there's a, a clock, a biological clock that uh, raises your stress hormones. We talk about adrenaline, cortisol. These are stress hormones that go up at around four o'clock, four thirty, five o'clock in the morning. Really? Without you even being awake, it starts to happen. Uh, and then you get up out of bed and you realize there's there's six or seven inches of wet snow outside, and you realize you can't get out of the driveway. And then you go downstairs and you. Hit that first cup of coffee, and then you I open do. The I door. drink coffee I know, before I go out I there. I know. Everybody's heart rate goes up, and their blood vessels start to constrict. And then the first blast of cold air hits your face, mm-hmm. which has all kinds of receptors that make your blood vessels constrict, and your 
And next thing you know, your blood pressure is higher than it was because everything's starting to constrict. Not because I'm angry that it snowed again. That's part of it. That's part of it, you're right? You're so depressed. And at this point in time, you're sick of this, and you want you just want it to end. And you end up outside, and, you're, and uh, the cold air hits. And next thing you know, you go lift up that big, wet, heavy snow, and your pressure goes even higher. And then you've got the central, the core pressure starts to rise, and then you... You crack a plaque in an artery, and next thing you know, you're having some discomfort in the chest, yeah. and you're in the emergency room and want to know what happened here. It's and frustrating. It, it is frustrating because I, I think... You can't get out of your house without doing no, it. You, so it's a, you do. And I mean, I believe me, I have definitely hydroplaned out of my driveway many mm-hmm, times mm-hmm. because my plow guy didn't get there early enough, and I had to get to a meeting, or right. I had to get out the door, and... It's unfor- we already have that stress level. We got to get there. We got to get there. Right, we got to right, get there. Right. With patients coming in, mm-hmm. and you know, mm-hmm. but it's. I guess part of me is like, well, I have never had a problem with my heart, and I'm sure that's the way other people think. I've never had a problem. Mm. I feel good. But then you stop and look at, oh, I'm 53. Maybe I should be thinking about this. And I said this to you earlier before we came in. You know, I'm out there, happy as can be, chopping away, loving being outside. Not happy that I got to chop away at my mailbox again, just so people could get, right. so I could get some mail. Right. Not that I really want it, but right. that I could get some mail and feeling good. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure that's what everybody does. So who? Is the most vulnerable. Well, the, the problem is that many people don't even know what what their risk factor assessment is. Right. And that's the big mm-hmm. uh, big key. Blood pressure is one of the, the is the silent killer. Definitely. So many people walk in. Our, our society is so badly out of shape, mm-hmm. uh, grossly overweight. Yeah. Typically hypertensive, and many patients don't even know it because they don't, they don't have it. it checked. The silent killer, as they call it, cholesterol might be elevated. So you're talking about the perfect storm. You're talking about yeah. the perfect setup. The overweight 55-year-old guy goes out the door and, and he's and he's aggravated because he's got to do this again. Right. He's got high blood pressure but doesn't think it's high. Right. Uh, or told his doc that I'm going to lose 30 pounds right. and show you that I can do it. Well, in the meantime, you've gained five pounds and right. you're not going to do it. Right. And in the winter and times, everybody's more sedentary, so it's even worse. It's worse. So it's 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 the perfect storm. It really Definitely. is. A, and the temperature is a big factor. Temperature, time of day. Blood pressure issues. I, I definitely think about it, and I and I, as I said to you when I was out there, I have you in the back of my head. I'm like, if Dr. Kelly saw me right uh. chopping at this mailbox, you know. And I went out there again last night. Our plow guy had come, but when I got home, I said to my husband, oh, "The plow came. I'm just going to clean that up because it's going to freeze again." And he's like, "Honey, just let it freeze." Well, that's, that's he says, one you just go over just the top. Yeah, he says it's going to melt. It's going to be forty or fifty. Well, that's what I do. I keep looking at the at the weather reports, thinking when is this going to warm up, so I don't have to shovel this. But uh, well, now you're made. shoveling. Now you told me I can't. I'm going to take the fifth on it. Yeah, but I have to. You have to uh, get out of the house. You got to get out of the house. But you be careful. I mean, you, you know what I'm talking about. You see the. A lot of people use the the exercise of shoveling right. as exercise. So I they love get it. into this rhythm I know where they're digging crazy. and digging and digging, and next thing you know, you're way out where beyond the point where this becomes exercise, and this is more just a stressor. Right. And you get into trouble. And I know even with a snowblower, going through thick, heavy snow can sometimes require a lot of effort on the part. It's not just walking behind right. a snowblower like you're walking behind a lawnmower in July. It's it's with your arms and you're pushing and you have to go through what the plow left at the end of your driveway which again. Which is full of salt and now yeah, it's turned it's to tough. ice, which it makes it heavier. Right. So you're, you're, you're really setting yourself up for this kind of thing. So we, I talked to before about seeing that woman in the emergency room. Yes, where I think that was a huge, I great walked, story. I walked into the emergency room. I had known that she was out shoveling and had had the heart attack and... So I was already. And she was fifty-three. Yeah, mid fifties. And I walked in and, and didn't even introduce myself. Just started into my spiel, and I said, "You know what the problem is? The problem is." And she's looking at me with this very perplexed look. And I said, "The problem is you can't find that sixteen-year-old who's around to shovel your driveway." And she says, "That's exactly right. I can't find a sixteen-year-old who wants to shovel my driveway anymore." No, no more. No, they're they, not around. Just not around. I don't they're know where they around. are, but there's there's a need for it. If anyone's out there listening, this is a great opportunity. Go make some money. To make some money and shovel people's driveways to keep them from having heart attacks. That's, that's a, now, I guess what would you say? Mm-hmm. When are you most concerned when a patient is when a, when an individual I should say is over the age of fifty? Mm-hmm. 
I'm, but you definitely see younger patients sure. coming in with the so same risk factors for in terms of heart disease. Right, it's kind of simple. Well, in regards to well, I mean, in regards you had to, to live in a bubble for the last fifty years and not know what your <laughs> risk factors for heart disease are, because then you hear them over and over and over and over again. It's right. blood pressure, it's cholesterol, it's your sugar, it's your fitness level, it's your family history, and it's smoking. It's just it's a simple. And I'm telling you, everybody knows what they know what the risk factors are, and they are, know what they should be doing. They almost don't want to have them checked because they know that oh, the doc is going to put me on a pill or I don't want to take a medicine for this and I don't want to exercise and lose the weight and so it's a it's a it's a and tough think, tough problem. I think women as they hit menopause too, I mean their blood pressure level mm-hmm. is yep. fluctuating so much. Right. So they don't they may never have had an issue before with high blood pressure, but then as they hit the menopause age, I know women's blood pressures just go all over the mm-hmm. place. So that's probably when you start seeing women come into your office and say, I was fine before, I don't I've never had a problem. Well, you, not just women, men say the same thing. Mm-hmm. And they didn't have a problem before. Well no, yes you did. You just it wasn't clinically apparent yet. It was developing. That's the thing about heart disease that I, I want people to understand. Uh, if you look at um, autopsy studies going back to the 60s, looking at the casualties of, uh, of war, Vietnam, we're talking about 18, 19, 20-year-old men. And that you look at the arteries of, of, of these young people, they have already started to show signs of what we call fatty streaks. If you look at the artery, there is literally a yellow streak in the wall of the artery. That mm-hmm. yellow streak is fat. It's cholesterol mm-hmm. deposits. It's white blood cells that are attacking the cholesterol. So the point being that this process of plaque buildup starts at a very young age. We all have it. It's right. not as though you can walk down the street and say, I don't have heart disease. No, I'm afraid you do. We all do. We all have it. And it starts at a young age, mm-hmm. and it progresses. Because statistically, people in this country die of heart attacks or strokes, which is just the same thing mm-hmm. involving the brain mm-hmm. as it does with the, with mm-hmm. the heart. Definitely. Um, far more often than anyone ever dies of cancer collectively. Collectively, right. Okay, so we are statistically a, a, a country of heart disease and strokes. We all have it. So Absolutely. the key is, is keeping it slow, is to say, well, how do I keep this process from building up uh, to the point where I have a heart attack or a stroke in my 50s as opposed to saying, I want to have my heart attack or stroke at the age of 95 after mm-hmm. my birthday Definitely. party. So, the, and that comes down to the risk factors, which mm-hmm. are smoking, hypertension, diabetes, cholesterol management, the, the, the things we all heard over and over and right. over again. And it's, so don't think for one minute that you're, because you feel great at, at 50, right. that you don't have something brewing. You don't have something brewing. And, and I think that is a misconception. It's a, I it's, really do. So the question back to your original comment, which was, when when did this happen? Well, it happened forty years ago, fifty years ago, when you were when you were first born, and this process is starting to to take off. So you want to keep it at a low low a simmer, not a boil, right. over the course of your life. And that's it. Now, if a just back to if someone is experiencing symptoms mm-hmm. and they are outside mm-hmm. shoveling, but I mean it could be during anything. I mean they could yeah. be playing tennis. They could be what is the first thing they should do. And I, I know what that is, but I want to make sure that we educate the public. So if you are outside shoveling mm-hmm. and you experience symptoms, right. you go in the house, you call 911, Correct. but what can you do before the ambulance gets there, emergency Take arrives? an aspirin. Right. Take an aspirin. Uh, it's, um, so making sure simple, everybody the, has it. The risk of taking an aspirin, assuming you're not allergic to aspirin, right. but at the risk of taking an aspirin uh, is so small and that the benefit is potentially life-saving uh, for both Heart attacks and strokes, for, for, that, for that matter. Definitely. If you think you're having weakness that's sudden and onset, and uh, it's uh, it's making you think about a stroke, there's nothing uh, better than, than yeah, while you're great. waiting uh, to take an aspirin. And I and I would chew it, chew, chew it, it and it. swallow it because if you chew it, it'll and break, break it up. It, up it, it you can absorb it quicker, and it can get to where it has to go and do its its work for quicker. Which brings me to the question mm-hmm. about an aspirin regimen. Mm-hmm. So, who should be on an mm-hmm. aspirin regimen, and and because I know there's, I have to be honest with you, it's something that I've always thought about, but I've never done. I've right. never taken advantage of. And you wonder, should I be doing it? Shouldn't I be doing right. it? And It's 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 uh, interesting. It's very controversial. Yes. We talk about aspirin. You'd wonder why something as simple as an aspirin right. could be controversial. Uh, it is. It's controversial because there are risks. What are the Definitely. risks? Bleeding. Uh, so you have to think about what the potential benefit is to an individual patient that's worth taking on the risk right. of how small, if the risk is small, it may also be at the same time that the benefit is also very small, so it doesn't really matter much. But it's all going to come down to 
assessing your risk factors, looking at, again, blood pressure, cholesterol, diabetes, smoking, your family history. And you can do this by doing what's called the Framingham Risk Assessment. You can go on online. It's called the Framingham Risk Assessment. Okay. And you can plug in your your age, your gender, your cholesterol values, your blood pressure. But people need to know their numbers. Exactly right. They need you to know, know their the numbers. numbers. Without knowing your numbers, without knowing what your blood pressure is, your cholesterol, I would not advise you to take an aspirin because you don't know. Because you don't know what you're you don't doing. know what you're doing. So you really have to know what your blood pressure is, what your cholesterol is. These are simple things to do, by the way. Right. And they and, and everyone knows they've heard it over and over. And in fact, they, they're probably tired of me saying it. But these, you need to know these numbers. You plug them into the equation. It gives you a ten-year risk assessment. What your ten-year risk is of having a, a, a major heart problem. If you cross over a certain point in that risk assessment, then an, an aspirin would be something that would be that the benefit would be clearly hmm. in your favor, and the risk again being just the bleeding issue. And I see very few people actually bleed on 81 milligrams of aspirin a day. That the that the that the risk is so low that it's well in favor of taking an aspirin a day. But without if you've had your risk factors checked right. and your blood pressure is good and your cholesterol is normal, you're not diabetic, you don't smoke, you don't need to and you don't have a family history of early vascular disease, mm-hmm. you don't need an aspirin. You don't need an aspirin. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And how about dietary-wise? Are there things people can do? Really? I'm sorry. You want to ask me about that? Just a little bit. You know, are there, he- are there things that you would encourage people to take? It- to prevent heart disease in regards to, I mean, there's all, a lot about fish oil and the omega-3s and all those things. We don't have to go into all that, but Thank what's you. like what's like the one thing? Let's just do that. What's like the one Stop thing? eating so much. Stop eating so much. <laughs> it's easy. And we are definitely fast food junkies. Well, oh. I, have, I have a quick question. Uh-oh. Uh-oh, Johnny. Do, do vegetarians have less problem with Not necessarily problems? because no. it, if you, it, 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 it's not just simply... Your diet, again, the other risk factors, blood pressure, you can be a vegetarian and be lower than your body mass index says you, you know, you, you should be less than 25 on your body mass index. You could be down around 22, 23, be a vegetarian, have a cholesterol of 300. Right. So it, it's, 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 it's two sources, what you eat and what your liver makes. Right. So it's not as simple as saying vegetarians live longer Definitely. than, than people who are not vegetarians. It's, okay. it's, it's a, it's a, 